Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Gastola, managing editor of shadowproof.com, as well as the curator of the Dissenter newsletter. I want to welcome you to the Dissenter Weekly for November 18th. And we'll be covering stories, highlighting stories related to whistleblowers and the obstacles they face in government agencies, corporations, and other institutions. But before we get to the stories that we have for this week, please, if you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and you'll be alerted when we post the next Dissenter Weekly, as well as when we do live streams, interviews with people who might be of interest. And if you're watching on Twitter or following on Facebook, be sure to share it. Share it with people who are in your network. Let them know that we're doing this kind of a show that is hyper-focused on those who are willing to take risks and challenge corruption. Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility. Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility, or PEER, which represents employees in the government concerned about the environment, as well as public health and safety, brought attention to the dynamiting of a Cold War era radioactive facility near Los Angeles, known as the Santa Susana Field Laboratory. They contend that the state of California endangered residents when they allowed the U.S. Department of Energy to blow up two buildings at the site. According to Peer, the Santa Susana Field Lab was the site of a, quote, partial nuclear meltdown and numerous other radioactive and toxic chemical releases. It was jointly operated by the Energy Department, NASA, and Boeing, and housed a former nuclear reactor and rocket testing facility. Communities nearby have experienced high rates of cancer and other adverse health conditions. Let's see the demolition. The Environmental Protection Agency classified the site under class one, which means it had the highest probability of radiological contamination. Nonetheless, the U.S. Energy Department detonated explosives that produced, quote, plumes of uncontrolled dust, end quote, without any water cannons to control the spread of contaminants. The promised soil cleanup has not even started. And it looks like another example of how corporations hold agencies that are supposed to regulate them captive. Or perhaps we could call it another example of how the leadership of these agencies puts corporate interests ahead of the health of people. The Associated Press published an investigation on the U.S. prison system. As it turns out, in nearly every job they found individuals who were charged with crimes. More than a dozen Bureau of Prisons staff told the AP that the disciplinary system focuses too much on rank-and-file employees and allows wardens and senior executives to get away with criminal acts. One problem is the Bureau of Prisons is wardens at every institution who decide whether to initiate disciplinary investigations. At a federal prison in Yazoo City, Mississippi, the official in charge of investigating misconduct has faced numerous complaints and even been arrested. One prison worker alleges that they assaulted him in a housing unit. One employee accused this, in, this official of stalking and harassment. The Bureau of Prisons, however, has not suspended or fired this particular official. As AP described, quote, in both instances, 
The victim said they reported the incident to the prison complex warden, Shannon Withers, and to the Justice Department's Inspector General. But they say the Bureau of Prisons failed to take any action allowing the official to remain in his position, despite pending criminal charges and allegations of serious misconduct. Whistleblowers who complain internally can face nastiness and outright hostility. Warden Ray Garcia at the Federal Women's Prison in Dublin, California, was charged with molesting an inmate. He allegedly instructed a prisoner to undress so he could take naked photos of her for his phone, which, by the way, is a government-issued phone. Garcia told the woman, don't bother reporting the sexual assault because he is close friends with the person who would be investigating the allegation. She would fail in her effort to ruin him. We hear talk about reforming the U.S. prison system, but where does one even begin to remove the rot when this is who is in charge? Sergeant Javier Escueda, who leaked video showing how his colleagues at the Joliet Police Department killed a man who overdosed on drugs, was expelled from the Joliet Police Officers Association in a vote of 35 to 1. Union leaders called his whistleblowing, quote, reprehensible, end quote. Esqueda faces felony charges. He was put on desk duty, then fired. And he told USA Today since he blew the whistle in July 2020, he feels like a pariah. But for the officers who are responsible for this man named Eric Lurie when he died, that's a different story. They've only received minor discipline. I'm going to show the video from the squad car that was leaked to local media uh, Joliet is nearby Chicago, and uh, you may consider it graphic, so if, if this isn't the kind of video you want to watch, uh, perhaps you'll move the thing along so that you don't have to watch this part of the Dissenter Weekly. No one summoned anyone to come give emergency medical attention to Lurie. Uh, allegedly, the officers uh, tampered with or destroyed audio or video following this incident. 
According to USA Today, uh, one sergeant in the union told investigators that Lurie was faking his symptoms and pretending to be unconscious. He was allowed, this, this sergeant was allowed to watch the video before he spoke with investigators. So, you know, he could make up the story that would be most favorable to him. Escueda told USA Today after the union vote, quote, they all wanted me charged, they all want me gone, and by doing this, it's self-gratification for them. And after everything that's happened, do I really want to be associated with them? Whistleblowers in the United States military exposed a strike in Syria that resulted in the massacre of around 70 women and children, according to an investigation by the New York Times. U.S. military forces launched a double-tap strike. An American F-15E attack jet dropped a 500-pound bomb. As survivors scrambled for cover, another jet dropped a 2,000-pound bomb that killed most of the survivors. This was part of uh, the final days of the conflict to root out the Islamic State in Syria. The command responsible for the strike conceded a war crime may have possibly took place. But a report by the Office of the Inspector General for the Defense Department removed that opinion. Officials in the Pentagon then impeded the investigation and ensured no one would ever be held accountable for the civilian deaths. They also turned on one of the whistleblowers, forcing that individual out of their position in the IG's office. You can read more details over at the dissenter. This was one of the stories I dove into during the past week, uh, going through this reporting that came from New York Times and uh, really showing what happens to people who go through proper channels. Once again, we see that this can often be a fruitless and risky career-ending effort. At least one of the individuals was forced out of their position at the inspector general's office for doing their job. Lisa Ling, a former tech sergeant who worked on drone surveillance systems and is a known whistleblower, told me again, the public is notified of a possible war crime by a brave whistleblower who was eventually forced out of their job. This is a pattern that exemplifies the need for robust whistleblower protections, especially for the intelligence community so often carved out of them. We need more light shined in these secret spaces so that this doesn't happen again and again and again without the public knowing what is done in our name. Unfortunately, the New York Times did this story. I think it uh, carries forward some of the work that they were able to do in exposing the strike in Kabul that marked the end of the US military occupation and reflected the types of strikes that had been routine in Afghanistan. Uh, we saw that a humanitarian aid worker was vaporized and along with uh, children in his family uh, were killed in a strike that people in the uh, military exonerated themselves over decided that there's no one who should be held accountable. And meanwhile, who is in prison? Daniel Hale, 
is in a communications management unit in a federal prison in Illinois held under highly restrictive conditions that are aimed at preventing him from being able to communicate with people so that he won't be able to comment in real time when we have stories like this that present themselves. They don't want his voice to be heard. And while he is serving a prison sentence for violating the Espionage Act for blowing the whistle on these types of strikes and the extent to which civilians are killed by the assassination complex, they do not want him to be able to speak to the public about how he feels when the truth of our U.S. military operations managed to see the light of day. To conclude, here's an update on WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. We're still waiting for the High Court of Justice to rule on the appeal. But while we wait, there have been a couple developments uh, in the world of Julian Assange's case. John Shipton, who is his father, was in France, along with some other people who are uh, closely aligned with Julian Assange. And they were there to uh, push for asylum for Julian Assange in France. Uh, and uh, they were there to speak about the case, uh, talk about whistleblower issues with uh, French parliamentarians and other advocates who support the rights of whistleblowers in France. And we also have a, a new piece of reporting from Kit Clarenberg at the Gray Zone on Australia and the, the government officials who, who run Australia who did uh, reach out to see how Julian Assange were be, was being treated at Belmarsh at the high security prison where he's been detained since he was expelled from the Ecuador embassy in April of 2019. Uh, but when they connected with him, when they managed to get a meeting with him to check in on his well-being, uh, they just logged a whole bunch of lurid details about his experience at Belmarsh, and they they did basically nothing. Uh, he's continued to struggle and deteriorate there. Uh, and it shows their complicity in the Assange case. You know, whether there's some politicians here and there in Australia who have spoken up for him. Australia is implicated in this as much as the UK government is implicated. As much as, you know, obviously I think the worst offenders are the United States and the Ecuador government for what they conspired to do in tossing him from the Ecuador embassy. And we've seen reporting and we know a lot of details about the CIA's effort uh, to target and uh, neutralize, or potentially assassinate Julian Assange while he was in the Ecuador embassy. What we find from these, these documents that were provided to Kit Clarenberg for the Gray Zone article, they come from Kelly Tranter, who is an attorney for Assange who's in Australia has made representations to the Australian authorities pushing for them to stick up for Assange. 
and uh, these these documents uh, reveal details of of his first days in Belmarsh, uh, what he was going through. And one thing that really struck me was this detail about how um, he was notified that he was possibly HIV positive, that, that a test had come back that he's HIV positive. And then it turns out that it was false. And he believes that someone might be playing a sick game with him at Belmarsh. And it shows you that you know every week or month that he's been there languishing at Belmarsh, he really hasn't had anybody who he could trust. Uh, and uh, I, I think part of the mental deterioration, it's clear, is, is believing that people in the facility would be out to get him, uh, the paranoia, and, and, and a lot of it's righteous because it's fueled by what the CIA is now known to have done. It's fueled by how Ecuador and, and its government betrayed him. It's fueled by the fact that all these government officials who should be saying something about the way human rights are being trampled are allowing this to continue every single day. So with that, uh, I want to encourage you, go to the dissenter.org, become a subscriber of this newsletter, uh, support this kind of journalism on whistleblowers, and we'll continue to push out coverage of Julian Assange's case, push out coverage of whistleblower stories like the whistleblowers who were mentioned in this podcast this week. And uh, you'll be able to get this in your inbox if you subscribe. If you become a paid subscriber, then there's exclusive content that will be sent to you uh, fairly regularly every single month uh, to show appreciation for your, uh, your contribution to this work. Uh, with that, um, I thank you for tuning in, and uh, we will see you next week.